We're in the age of coronavirus, and leadership has never been so important. Whether your company is large or small at any stage, how you lead in the next several months is going to be extremely important. Everyone's very familiar with onboarding a new employee, but we posit that reboarding employees is going to be even more important. We have Stephanie Chamberlain, an HR expert here in Rhode Island, as a guest on MedTech Monday. Welcome to the Road Pod. Hello, listeners. I'm Danielle Sturm, your host of MedTech Monday on the Road Pod. We're very excited to bring you a two-part episode this week to talk about COVID-19 and how it is impacting human resources and workplace cultures. Joining me for these two episodes is my co-host, Tom Chiginski, and guest founder and chief talent officer at Pinch, HR advisor on Nemec's smart team, and overall joy to be around Stephanie Chamberlain. <laughs> now, I don't know if our listeners know this about Tom, but in his past careers, he used to plan strategic war games for large organizations and entities. And when we first started talking with Stephanie about the current state of the workforce, the pains, the uncertainty, and what lies ahead, Tom and his wargaming background took our discussion to the next level with how companies should be not only thinking about this pandemic, but planning for the reintegration of employees, as well as how to plan for future quarantines if we need to go into one down the line. Before we get into our conversation, I'd love to introduce Stephanie Chamberlain to our listeners. So thank you for joining us, Stephanie. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, what you primarily like to focus on within the HR realm, and a bit about your company, Pinch? Yes, thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. This is my podcast debut, and I'm thrilled to be here. I know Nemec through my past life with Cymedica, where I led their human resources department from 2006 until 2018 and went out on my own, founded Pinch, which is a talent acquisition and fractionalized HR consultancy. And we are based in the NEMIC space and working with various clients in the local region, in the product development space, as well as the defense space. So since this is MedTech Monday, I'd love to start our conversation off by asking Stephanie, um, what should medical device companies, no matter how big or small their startups or large corporations, be focusing on and thinking about right now operationally um, during this quarantine and pandemic? Well, I think the biggest thing, and it's my belief in the way that I approach HR, is that it needs to be led with a high touch in a no-touch environment. It needs to be emotionally high-touch because people are in a situation they've never faced and the objective of companies should be to retain that workforce so that they are prepared to compete when the time comes for reintegration. Mm -hmm. And what does it, is there a difference? Because a lot of people right now are working from home, but then especially in um, a lot of medtech companies, there are mission-critical mission employees. Um, is there a way to think about how you're conducting business and especially with people um, for those two different groups? Uh, absolutely. The people working from home, while many companies didn't embrace that initially until it was forced upon them, I think that's a luxury right now. I think the people who are really 
out there on the front lines in the same way that our medical teams and retail teams are, are the people that are required to go to work every day. They keep the company functioning. They have to constantly flex to change, which is not easy for employees. So just workflow change, they have to up their level of respect for their colleagues in terms of their own personal space and their own behavior toward one another. It's a really awkward time that people don't really know how to function. So the people, mission critical employees on site are phenomenal in my estimation. Not that not that adjusting to homework isn't equally difficult or, or challenging. I don't think that it has the same risks as those who are reporting to work every day. Mm-hmm. Now, how, um, I guess from, from HR perspective as well, and this is something not a lot of people know working outside of HR, but what are, how do people balance HIPAA and the Americans with Disabilities Act and OSHA um, during this? And how are companies or should companies being reacting um, because we're talking about a contagious sickness, um, but still being able to keep that privacy while not kind of scaring the whole company? That is super challenging and there's really no clear answer. While the government agencies have been performing beyond what I would ever have expected them to, and I, I give them a ton of credit, particularly Rhode Island Department of Labor and Training and Rhode Island Department of Health under Governor Raimondo's leadership. They're doing a fantastic job. However, this nobody has the answers. So I think that employers are forced into interpreting these situations in good faith. And that's an uncomfortable place for many HR people who are very rule-bound and quick to say no or quick to take the legal letter to the nth degree. And I think that we're we're dealing with something that doesn't have many answers. And so the thing that's been really bothering me, and I don't have a solution, but I, I would advise everybody to think about this, is that If there's a workplace exposure or a suspected workplace exposure, while Rhode Island has recently rolled out the same day results of testing, when somebody goes out, the rest of the workforce, depending on the size, will know that somebody's gone out. And their assumption, the other employee's assumption, is that the employer will tell them who that person is. They can then evaluate themselves, how close contacts they've had over the past X amount of days, et cetera, et cetera. But that is not actually how it happens. The Department of Health does the contact tracing. And so the employer will be informed, presumably, of the results. And the employees who were determined to have had close contact with that employee who has the diagnosis would be contacted. But we can't disclose and say or or assume that X has a positive case of Mm COVID-19. 
And we've had a couple of instances of people at mission critical sites who did go out sick, but they must have had a cold or they didn't feel well. And they commented about how others were treating them like a leper or just treating them very differently. And it's understandable because we don't know, but we need to think about how we're going to manage that. Someone's going to sneeze. You never want to be the first person in the room to sneeze when this is all over. Uh, <laughs> or cough. So, or nothing. So those are things that are going to be really challenging and are going to require employers to talk about openly and vulnerably. And I don't know that that's a place that many leaders lead from. When this happens, and right now, like a lot of a lot since a lot of employees are working from home and we it's there's not that kind of that panic of people like people are sick yes we're home we're fine and when we do come back and reintegrate together what would your advice to to employers be and how can they kind of start planning now for whenever that reintegration might be um about how to treat their employees or kind of how to start a plan of what they're what should we be thinking about um is going to happen when all of our employees reintegrate and how can we plan for when these things happen, for when people get sick, no matter if it's with this virus or something else? So that brings us a little bit back to the privacy laws under HIPAA. And I'll give an example of a conversation I had earlier today. And it was with a woman who works in the defense industry on site, the secret clearance. And she has worked in that role for 14 years and she has COPD and she has gone on to TDI because of her high risk status. So in normal circumstances, nobody would be talking about the fact that she has COPD. It's none of the employer's business and none of us should be making assumptions on her ability to work except for her doctor. However, it's going to come up. She will be the first person to cough at the work site. But if her doctor clears her, then how does the employer share that with people? Many will know that about her that maybe have worked with her for 14 years. But what about the people who don't? And so I, I don't have the answer except for that there will be an openness that some will be comfortable with and some will not be comfortable with. So perhaps some people now know that she's out with a pre-existing condition and maybe we're more empathetic to those who have pre-existing conditions, whatever they are, and we don't need to ask what they are, but that's something to think about. Mm -hmm. Did I just, I think I just went off from your original question. No. The beginning. <laughs> no, no, that, that's great. Um, but I want to go back to you mentioned leadership and what like have you seen and what have you been talking to some of your clients about about what different styles of leadership are there and how that's kind of changing during this time? And what would your advice be to, to these C-level leaders or managers um, to really take into consideration during this time, during while we're working um, virtually or when we reintegrate? Well, I think the first thing is for them to do a real self-assessment 
and to understand whether they are naturally empathetic. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that they are, and that's not an insult. It's mm-hmm. simply a different strength in different situations. So I think identifying who that person is, it may not be anybody on your leadership team. It may be somebody who is a director level or a manager level or even a senior team leader. It's sort of the person who is universally liked, trusted, and who can adapt and who can act as a liaison to receive the employee concerns and distill them into information that leadership can run with or accept Mm -hmm. or process. Because sometimes when somebody, an employee has a complaint about something, it's, it's dismissed as being petty. And maybe it is, but in, in a lot of cases, it's just dismissed. But these are very serious concerns that people are going to come back with. They're life and death concerns. And then added to that is the fact that we don't know precisely how this is contracted. We know it's in the air, but we don't know that my meeting with you on Wednesday is what gave it to me. It could have been my walk on the beach where I was two feet from somebody. There's no, people don't have any control. So they need, leaders need to address things no matter what they think of the Mm -hmm. concern. And they should feel comfortable and confident making sure that they're assigning it to the person who is the most approachable. it's, It's not simply, oh, I have an open door. You can come and talk to me because no one if they're not really approachable, no one's going to go talk to them. Well, I'm, I'm thinking too. So when you have that liaison, you have that person, have you already been talking to any clients or their employees? Have those employees been voicing any concerns about coming back to work or how this is kind of going to shape the workforce um, in the future? And do you have any insight into that? Uh, yes. We, so... I have given my phone number. I have to answer every single call now. You know how many telemarketers are still calling during these times? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> they a, they want somebody to talk to. I would say that when I'm getting these phone calls, they're lasting at least an hour. And it's sometimes just somebody to talk to. It's quelling their anxiety about whether their job is safe. Mm-hmm. It is expressing their concerns and maybe the circumstances surrounding why they opted to not report to work based on a prior health condition. Mm -hmm. It is um, then after all of that happens, that sort of trust building part of the conversation happens, then it can evolve to my suggestion with this person that I was recently speaking with was If you do not think that the physical space is set up to be safe moving forward, how how do you think that you could still function in your role? Can you do a job analysis, in essence, to make constructive suggestions to your management team 
that will maybe change the way that that job is done. Mm-hmm. This one happened to be in the defense industry, so there's not a lot of flexibility, but I'm sure that the client is thinking the same thing because there are so many people at one site. They they have to. So I think it's envisioning your role creatively to see how it could be done. And if it can't be done, is there another opportunity for you within the organization? I saw a statistic on SHRM, which is the Society for Human Resources Management, that said 50% of American workers cannot do their job at home. Mm. So it is a major concern. Was there, this is Tom breaking in, Stephanie, was there a list of um, bullet points on why? There was not. I will look at it. They cannot be performed remotely. But for example, the client in the defense industry, there is a whole grouping of people who cannot do their work at home due to security clearances. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was going to I was going to bring up, too, is especially, I guess, in in the med tech industry and these in these regulated industries um, that you work with. It, uh, who knows how long we're going to actually be in this quarantine and if we're going to go into another one. But what does that look like from like a privacy and security with working with these high stakes projects that um, from home and some of the a lot of these companies, since we were forced to send a lot of our, our employees home, we're kind of hoping to come back. Um, but this is where I guess we bring Tom in and start thinking about there, if they weren't planning before for for people working from home, how can people start planning and what do they need to think about because of that security for if this happens again, so that their their business can can go on? Go ahead. You want- I'll leave that to I'll leave that to Tom. I, that's very much an IT function, and mm-hmm. I'm going to let Tom lead mm-hmm. there. Okay. Well, I think a lot of organizations. Um, did not have a business continuity plan that anticipated this happening. And when you're dealing with this type of thing, it's around business continuity, not yet to a crisis situation, but, uh, and the government mm-hmm. and your defense base would call it COOP, continuity of operations. I think this is going to be difficult because this was never part. I mean, they may have said, you know, in a hurricane situation or an outage, you know, we're going to have a few people working from home, but this is, this is quite different right now. And because they had no plan for that, they really don't have a plan for the reintegration of people. And I think what you said, 50% of the people can't do their business, they can't perform their job functions from home, particularly in secure, in, in secure environments. Um, it, it, it presents an issue because as we reintegrate them, we there are risks with the reintegration. Um, and because this was done rather rapidly, it didn't just, um, you know, there was no real one or two or three month notice this was going to happen. So we may not have had the amount of VPN tunnels in there because a lot of VPNs are physical devices uh, at the edge of the DMZ, which is the demilitarized zone in, in an organization's IT infrastructure. Um, so we may have very quickly deployed something which we hadn't vetted yet. And this goes back to what cybersecurity, unfortunately, has to be incorporated into this reintegration because the number one source 
of risk in in an organization uh, was was people was the human factor around the cyber element. And you know you've got spear phishing. Spear phishing is defined when an individual is targeted because that individual may have access to financial information or intellectual property or something else, but that that individual is targeted. Um, spear phishing. So I'm going right at that individual. And, you know, now that people have been dealing with less than secure infrastructure, um, that could be an issue. And it's not just big companies. I go back to the town of Sandwich in um, Cape Cod was targeted a number of years ago, and they lost fifty or $60,000 because the CF, the uh, the financial controller of Sandwich uh, was targeted in a spear phishing event. And then they got what's called a man in the middle attack. They got between the individual and the bank and they got the credentials. Then they went and transferred some money. So I think a lot of things have to be addressed as, as we come in uh, to this reintegration mode from both the IT perspective, from the security perspective, uh, because I think it's we're really going to be surprised when we uh, start st start standing up operations again uh, at facilities that there was there were a lot of issues. So mm -hmm. that goes to a plan for reintegration. It's not just hey everyone come on back in. There has to be, in my view, having gone through massive cybersecurity um, exercises around the world with large banks and. NGOs, this is something that has to be addressed because it'd be a terrible if organizations just brought everyone back in without maybe going through a little bit of process, that that sort of reboarding process and asking a few questions. Um, and those questions don't have to be, we're not looking to accuse anyone of anything, but we're looking for, you know, a little bit of process. You know, was the computer using at home accessed by anyone else? No. Okay, good. Uh, if it was, who was it? Uh, what did they do? If they have a computer at the office, they may have a shared computer at home, say in the kitchen they may have worked from. And the kids have been involved in working on that computer also. So there are a number of things to think about as we go back through this. And, you know, you have people um, who may understand the culture a bit and may understand where there's friction in the culture. And those people may be key and goes back to that individual you were talking about, Stephanie, into uh, highlighting where there may be issues as they come back in. I mean, there are some people who will be completely, um, there's some people who will be completely comfortable with the questioning around this and some people who won't. Um, some people mm -hmm. are pretty, um, pretty uh, uh, set in their ways and they, they don't want to be questioned or any circumstances. The smartest mm -hmm. guy in the room, the smartest woman in the room. But I do think there has to be some level of that because we have opened up. There are criminal syndicates. There are state actors. There are just a whole range of things, little kitties out there just hacking for the hell of it. Anything you mm -hmm. want, any, any tool you want to hack anyone is available on the internet and also the the instructions on how to use it is available on the internet. So I think a lot of these things have to come in and I think it's going to create some friction as people are reintegrated. And I think what you going back to those soft skills that you spoke about um, on our conversation the other day are going to be very, very important here as we reintegrate these people. Yes. And, and even 
asking them. So not even just taking the feedback, actively soliciting that feedback. What can we do better? What is it that you need from us? How can we make your job feel safer to you? Mm-hmm. Really staying ahead of it. And communication is always a bottleneck at companies, no matter their size. So getting into the habit of over-communicating without, without it being just a task, but an actual genuine questioning and follow-up is, is going to be important. And even regular work schedules, I was going to refer back to not just people who have to be at work because of security, but if you have a CNC shop or you have a prototyping shop, you have to be at work to access that equipment. So how do you do that? How do you break up a small group? We have one company that we work with who has about six people in the CNC department. And if we look at this as something that is going to continue to be a challenge in terms of the Mm -hmm. virus being a challenge, then we might need to talk about pairing people say there's six people, okay, well, now we need to have three shifts. Because of the way that things work, if one person in that small environment were to get it, the whole group would need to quarantine. And so that whole area of a business would be shut off. And so those are the other things from a business perspective is how are you going to handle that? How are you going to rotate it? or incentivize people who have no desire working third shift? And how are you going to replace those people if they have no desire in working third shift? Mm -hmm. So I think that people in general have been fantastic about flexing to it. But as this goes on and on and on, depending on when it ends, they may become less flexible. So Mm -hmm. just thinking creatively and again, soliciting feedback on what would make them feel better. Would Mm -hmm. it, would they want to say, okay, I'm going to work third shift and I'm going to get paid X amount more, or would they prefer that they all took a turn and it rotated every three weeks or something? Mm -hmm. I think it's a good time to bring up too, that a lot of the people in the workforce right now, this is a really pivotal moment for employers um, to react to show their employees that that they they have them in mind and their employees safety should be at the top of their mind Um, and then then the business for what's going on now and for reintegration Um, but one thing I mean you said it the last time we talked as well and actually that same day I was on LinkedIn I follow some HR people and they were they were talking about that the question of what did you do for your employees or how did you handle um, and manage your employees during the quarantine um, is going to be a question asked by by people applying to jobs in the future to really feel out how how companies treat their employees and if you want to work for them. Um, And then also on the flip side of if you're not being treated well during this time, it's kind of, and you're you're sitting at home, you're thinking about, is this this a place I want to be and continue working at? Absolutely. That's that's very true. And I think it's a sales saying too. It's not 
it's it's how you leave people making them feel how people feel about you is what really sears your brand and your reputation is how you make them feel and so i can't stress that enough to leaders and to to really know even if they're in their best heart of hearts they're trying to be that person if that is not their natural strength they absolutely should step aside mm-hmm. and that's more leadership than forcing themselves on so mm-hmm. so allowing somebody else to really handle it is is really important and it's it's also funny going back to actually have two two different clients who I was really moved by their leadership style. The first goes back to the smaller company. They're about 50 people and they have a shop environment and they already very much look up to their CEO in a very loyal fashion. But he, when talking with them about how things were going to be in terms of the new processes, processes, the the new workflows, physical access to the building, et cetera. He put it in terms of we're doing this for our country because we're manufacturing some medical th- devices. We are doing this for our economy. We are doing this for your families. And we are in such a high trust mode with each other right now in terms of asking people to stay home if they're sick. They're saying, I'm trusting you right now with my children and my family, and you're trusting me with yours. And that is really sacred. And I think people responded to that because that is actually how serious this is. And that is not an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. And another smaller employer also very openly shared what his business plan was to keep everybody employed. And here is what we're doing first. Here is what we're going to do second. I'm confident through the end of the year we'll be good, but we we need to maintain this sort of thing. Please let me know what your concerns are. I'm going to do everything I can. I mean, I think... If from a lead, it's a leadership opportunity right now to really bond with your employees in a way that sometimes people would say, oh, that's unprofessional. But going back to Zymedica, under the leadership of Aidan Petrie and Steve Lane, all of the employees would have been loyal to them forever. And one manufacturing person who I think she is still there and probably on 15 years now had said, I worked somewhere for 20 years and I never had more than 10 days vacation. And Aiden and Steve believe in the fact that everybody needs time off and everybody gets three weeks vacation and it even clicks up as the years go on. And so little things like that, they will be loyal forever from something that small which isn't that small. I mean, it, it does have a cost, but they've maintained that that work group for 15 years without any cost. So what is the real cost? So I think leaders thinking about things in a longer-term perspective. 
Yeah, that's great. And before I pose my next question, which that was perfect leading into how do we plan and what can we be doing now to plan? But before we talk about that, um, I'd love to have Tom just talk about his background um, in wargaming and what you used to do, because it it really applies to just planning um, and planning for for really anything. Well, so... I spent uh, seven years working with both Fortune 500 companies and NGOs building what we called crisis simulations. It was called corporate wargaming. Mm-hmm. Um, this came directly out of uh, our methodology. This came directly out of the Naval War College. My mentor in this was the um, had the intelligence chair at the War College and and conducted about three hundred of these games over his over his uh, uh, career and. We did everything from just what we're actually seeing now, which is a game I, I, that never went off because an organization didn't want it to go off because they didn't have answers to the questions, um, to uh, mine collapses, uh, large cyber events with banks and financial institutions, um, CEOs being kidnapped in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, and the, the longest one that I ran was a... Um, I facilitated was from Chicago, Illinois, into my home in Jamestown because it was conducted at very odd times uh, into Zurich, Switzerland, and then tapped into Baku, Azerbaijan, and that was for a hospitality um, hospitality client. And uh, the scenario for that was uh, 150 British petroleum engineers were killed in a terrorist event. Now. This is all, I say crisis and wargaming. What this is, is scenario-based exercises. And every business should be conducting these, and a lot are, from business continuity to crisis. But a lot weren't, didn't have this in place, as I mentioned previously. And part of this is, there's an exercise for both, you know, standing an oper- up an operation after a crisis event. And one of the things about this particular event that we're in right now is there is really no end in sight, or let's just say it's 12 to 18 months away. Uh, If you listen to the scientific evidence, and because we're so politically polarized, we won't get into that, but there is scientific evidence where this is going to have blooms again. It's going to pop up again here and there. Uh, we have to, as, as Stephanie, as our discussion the other day talked about, we have to worry about how people are wiping down and sanitizing within a company. And we may have a, a, an event again in a company where people are reinfected. Um, so organizations have to start thinking about what happened during this event. And um, in a crisis, in a crisis situation, when you're managing a crisis, uh, we taught uh, organizations to keep a master events log because I guarantee you in three, four, five weeks, whenever we start standing up companies again uh, within w- within the infrastructure that they've been used to, we're going to forget a lot of the lessons learned because no one wrote them down. So mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the things I'd recommend to people right now is to start keeping a log And we would assign in an event like this, uh, we'd we'd run a simulation, we would have a a scribe assigned to this. And this can be, you know, it can be anyone in the organization who's very good at detail. I guarantee you every IT department out there is looking at their logs very, very closely because of the nature of cybersecurity right now. And they're being attacked left and right. And when do you attack 
uh, someone you want to really put down? Well, you attack them when they're vulnerable, and we are vulnerable right now. So this whole wargaming methodology and this exercise, let me just call it scenario-based exercising, there should be uh, people thinking about how to reintegrate and walk through an exercise around that. And I think Stephanie can speak to, you know, there are people in an organization, there's a hierarchy, there are egos involved, there are a number of things that are delicately handled by HR people um, within an organization. These will manifest themselves uh, during reintegration. And so how to walk through an exercise about conflict, uh, how are we going to resolve these conflicts within the, the, within the organization? If someone has COVID, it goes back to that HIPAA, you know, had COVID. Or, and, and if someone, you know, uh, is, is not comfortable with that, not comfortable working in the same facility with them. A lot of these things have to be talked through because you don't want to be dealing with these things on the fly. Not only that, but as we move into the next level of this, let's say it's in, let's say we're lucky and it doesn't happen again until the fall. Well, what lessons did we learn this time, both in the execution of, okay, everyone scatter and work remotely to, okay, now that we integrated, now that we've reintegrated, what lessons did we learn then? So that every time we go through the process one more time, which we will, it becomes smoother. Uh, we have less friction and, you know, we build, we, we, we become more sustainable because there are, I believe, a lot of companies that will flounder right now uh, during this reintegration period because they have no plan for it. It's very difficult to do, um, and they haven't thought about it because we've never been in this situation as a crisis. So I would suggest some exercises, some thinking through the process of how this is going to happen and working with your people with good soft skills to understand, okay, we have well, let me step back. We always have a trusted agent in an exercise. And that trusted agent, as we were picking through the company to find the vulnerable spots to test them on, we would test them on the plans that were written down, but we also looked for cultural issues. And those cultural issues were oftentimes more vulnerable than the the what was written down in the plan that wasn't covered because mm -hmm. people have egos. So there will be issues here every organization, and there should be a trusted agent within that organization looked at by senior leadership because senior leadership doesn't oftentimes have a, a have their finger on the pulse of what's going on a little bit further down the line, but they should be talking with that person. Okay, who's going to be the problem? Why would they be a problem? Mm -hmm. Tell me something I didn't know before about what was going on down there that could rise up and rear its ugly head as we try and reintegrate. And it's a great opportunity for efficiency. It, it forces us to look at where things didn't work. Well, do they actually matter? It, how can we change that and make things better? So it is an opportunity as well. Sure, sure. And I think, I think from an efficiency standpoint, I mean, not everyone's going to walk back in and plug back in. I think you can speak to, Stephanie, the you know, the the OSHA requirements for just wiping down or something or sanitizing the workplace as we go through. It's not going to be the same process where everyone hangs out at the water cooler or goes into the cafeteria as it was before. 
That seemed like a good place to stop. We'll have part two on Thursday. But the episode's not over yet. Please hang in there for a second and listen to what I have to say. Stephanie Chamberlain and I are considering building out a webinar series based on the following, Reboarding in the Age of Coronavirus. This, I think, will be very important for organizations to walk through some scenario-based exercises because things have changed. People won't be the same coming back in. There will be issues. And with regulatory compliance paramount, the liabilities out there, let's think about this. Let's walk through some scenarios. I think Stephanie's HR expertise and my scenario-based exercise expertise will be very helpful to you. Thanks very much. If you would have an interest in this, drop us an email at tom@theroadpod.com. Again, that's Tom at the roadpod.com. If not, you'll hear us again on Thursday for part two of this very important podcast. Thank you.